Good morning. Well, I am certainly having a wonderful time preparing for this sermon series. I have been enjoying getting to know the people who write the hymns of our hymnal. And um, Ruth Duck um, isn't found in our red hymnal so much. But she is found in all the supplements. In our, in our black one that's in front of you, the faith we sing. And then in the green one, which is called worship and song. And remarkably, all the green ones have vanished from our pews. And so we will be looking into finding more money to buy more green ones because, um, because the music is wonderful. And sometimes when we have a new song like this, some people actually like to be able to look at the notes. And uh, it helps us to sing um, in tune. And uh, so we will be looking into getting more of our green supplements. Um, Ruth Duck was born on November 21st in 1947, so this year she will be turning 70. And uh, she was born in Washington, D.C. Um, she is an only child. Uh, she was raised um, in a Presbyterian church, although her parents were Baptists. They had a strong Baptist background. Ruth, um, I think if you had met her when she was a child, she would be one that people would call an old soul. She was the kind of child that, um, that appreciated the depth of meaning of things. She, she contemplated and, and, and took things into her heart and, and appreciated symbolism. I'm going to ask a question here. How many people here from a young age enjoyed reading? I have some people who from a young age enjoyed reading. Okay, and what kind of things did you read? Like the Black Stallion. The Black Stallion. Uh-huh, the whole series. Okay. Nancy Drew, me too. Yeah. Okay. Heidi. Heidi. Like stories and narratives. Some people maybe they liked reading comic books and such. But um, and I'm sure that Ruth enjoyed reading those kinds of things too, but what her family really read was poetry. They read poet, her parents read poetry to her, and, and she enjoyed poetry very much. From an early age, she was trained up in that. Now, I will confess that um, poetry is not one of my stronger suits even to this day. And when I was a kid, I hated reading. I absolutely hated I loved having stories read to me, but I didn't like to read them um, until I found Nancy Drew when I was nine. And then the world changed. Um, but, but Ruth... She enjoyed reading poetry from a very early age. And, and when, uh, in one of the interviews I read, they asked her, well, who was a strong influence in your life? Who was somebody you looked up to? And it was her fourth grade teacher. Her fourth grade teacher, who even now at the age of 70, she holds a special place in her heart for her fourth grade teacher. And in the fourth grade, her teacher had them read poetry and work on poetry. And so I'm thinking that was one of the real reasons, because she loved poetry so much. And the, and the teacher had them then at the end of the unit on poetry, they were to write a poem as they worked on this, and, and then they were to, you know, complete this poem. And, and Ruth's poem was... I want to be a missionary. How many nine-year-olds do you know who are writing poetry, I want to be a missionary, right? So she was a very special, special child whose connection with God was deep from a very early age. Um, she was a Girl Scout. How many other people are Girl Scouts we have? Okay, we have, oh good, we have a lot of people in this room who are Girl Scouts. She was a Girl Scout, and she got her start on 
being a hymn writer from earning her merit badge. They had a songwriter merit badge in Girl Scouts. And so she learned to play guitar so she could accompany herself as she wrote songs to earn her merit badge in Girl Scouts. And then that continued with her the rest of her life. Um, when she got to junior high age and it was time to be confirmed in the Presbyterian church, like in the Methodist church, we baptize our babies young. We, we put water on their head at baptism. They will call it sprinkling or pouring water. And, um, and then when they are about junior high age and high school age, we'll have a confirmation class. And then the youths are confirmed in the faith. And so at that point, they profess their faiths for themselves. We um, have the sponsors do it at their baptism when they're infants. But Ruth's parents had a strong Baptist background, so they had not baptized her as a child. And so to be confirmed in the faith, you need to be baptized. And they needed to have full immersion. This sprinkling and pouring was not sufficient. It was full immersion. And so they all went down the street and made arrangements with the Baptist church down the street where they had the baptistry there. And so she was dunked fully in. And it was a transformational experience for her that she really felt the transformation, the change happened. She felt a special bond with God in that she felt that God was present with her. She felt the dying with Christ and rising to new life as she came out of the water. It was pivotal moment in her life and she still recalls the, the vividly the power of that moment um, so she was confirmed then into the Presbyterian church and um, um, when she became a young adult she started finding groups within the Presbyterian church but also outside the Presbyterian church that, that were like on fire for Jesus. You remember that the language that was used like the on fire, the person's really on fire for Jesus, on, on, on fire for Christ. And, and so she was really drawn to these kind of people who were deeply committed and, and so she joined charismatic groups and she, she joined fundamentalist groups who, who really just had a passion for Jesus and, and so in her college days she was connected with groups like that and in her college days is when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And that really shook her. And so she turned to the denomination's um, curriculum that they had developed to help the congregations really wrestle with the deep issues that were dividing our country at that time. Um, also at that time, though, uh, in the midst of all of this, she felt a tugging to ordained ministry, and she knew nobody who was a, a female ordained pastor. She, she'd never met one. And, and in her charismatic and fundamentalist groups, there were no examples of that, and, and there wasn't particularly any encouragement for that. Now, her undergraduate degree work that she was doing was in English. Um, she had, her parents had instilled that love, and, and so she was getting a degree in English, and, and she was coming to really appreciate the power of words and how language shapes our understanding. Not only do we use language to describe our experience, but language shapes our experience. Words have power. And as she started feeling this tug to ordain ministry, and she started seeing the words that are used, she started recognizing how, how the language of the church had been used to undervalue women and their participation, even remove women for participating. 
And she started to feel a frustration with that. When she graduated from college, she met a woman who was a pastor, and she felt that call undeniably. And so she moved to Boston University, to the School of Theology at Boston University, which is a United Methodist School of Theology. If you remember, two weeks ago when we talked about Georgia Harkness, Georgia Harkness went to the school, the seminary at Boston University. It was the first seminary to open an advanced degree program for women. And so she was in the second group that enrolled in that program when she enrolled in 1918. But now in uh, the early mid-70s, Ruth Duck entered Boston University School of Theology and uh, earned her Master's of Divinity. And when she came out of that experience, she was ordained into the um, UCC, United Church of Christ, and uh, and found a a congregation to serve and and, uh, began serving. She served in pastoral ministry for 15 years from 74 up into uh, uh, 89. Um, But while she was uh, serving in in, uh, in her congregation, she she felt a, a, a continuing hunger to learn. And so she went back to the seminary. She went back to Boston University uh, School of Theology, and she earned a doctorate in theology. And uh, and uh, the early uh, in in eighty four in the early eighties, um, she was writing poems. She was working with language, and she came um, a strong proponent of inclusive language. Um, she. She became um, uh, fully, fully open feminist, um, which many people still misunderstand, thinking that feminists hate men, which is not, it's not what feminism is about. It's about um, becoming, making women um, have equal opportunity. And... Um, um, she became a feminist, and she started working with inclusive language. And, and the, the work of inclusive language is to try to b- find gender-neutral terms for God because the, the male-dominant, a lot of people will say, well, God is a he, and consequently men are more special, and only men can do certain things. But in Genesis 1, it says, God said, let us make humankind in our image, male and female, God created them. Not God created men in God's image and women's a second class. Now, in Genesis 2, it kind of has a different story with the taking the rib out. But in Genesis 1, it says male and female, that everyone was created in the image of God and all are gifted. And, and so Ruth began trying to use her language and the language in her poems to help expand people's understanding of God. That God is so much bigger than we are. And that that every time you, you say one thing, this just one thing, it, it closes you off from the fullness of who God is. And it cl- makes it hard for you to really fully enter in to that experience of God. Because you're only looking for God in one certain way. Like the story of the Native peoples when they, when the... Uh, The Nina, no, when uh, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria were showing up with Columbus on him, 
They didn't even recognize that it was ships because they had nothing in their vocabulary for that. And so when the people came ashore, they didn't, they didn't reckon, they, they weren't like, like everybody gathering saying, look, there's a ship of people. They, they had no clue what that was. There was nothing in their experience. They had no language in their vocabulary. And it was like they were invisible. When the people, they were, it was a very strange initial encounter. And it's that way when we limit God, when we only make God certain words are for God, the rest of it is not. It makes, it makes us close ourselves off from God in certain areas of life. There was a time in a previous uh, pastorate, and somebody came to me. We had the time when we shared our joys and our concerns, and the children would often bring their joys and concerns, and, and their, cons- their joys might be something like, I lost a tooth this week. And, and we would celebrate that they lost a tooth this week, another milestone in that child's life. And I had somebody come up to me and say, we should instruct the children not to share those silly things like that because those aren't important. They should only share really important things in our prayer time. Right? And, and my response was, well, all of it's important to that child. And if we're teaching our children that there's nothing too small or nothing too big that you can bring to God, but we say, but in our prayer time, don't mention that, what are we really saying? We're saying that, that God doesn't care about our children. It's not until you become older and have real problems, right? And so you start closing yourself off from that side of God that cares about every part of your life, that has knitted you in your mother's womb, that knows how many hairs are on your head. And you start closing all the, but God doesn't really care about those things. There's only the important things I need to bring to God. And so as we expand how we think about God, then we realize that God wants to be there with us at every moment of our life and in every decision and every up and down and swerve and curve of life. That God hungers to companion with us. And so much of the time we close ourselves off. So one of Ruth's initial works as a feminist was to try to help develop inclusive language, to, to make language that wasn't always, always saying he, 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 he. But the problem with inclusive language being gender neutral is that that, that also closes off part of who God is. If you can never ascribe in our language any kind of gender, then you lose father and mother. You, you, you don't call Jesus Lord anymore because that's a, a male word. And so, so they, there was a point at which Ruth was invited to work with many other people on developing an inclusive language hymnal for the UCC. And they did that and they brought it to the, the, for the vote. And, the, and there were no references to Jesus as Lord. And there were a lot of people who were really upset with that because it was important to them. That imagery was important to them. And as Ruth listened to the debate on the floor about this, she came to understand that inclusive language wasn't enough. That, that trying to eliminate references of gender um, on one side can be very helpful, but it wasn't enough. It, it, it also, in its own way, 
caused another sort of restriction and another sort of division and another sort of limiting of who God is. And so Ruth has moved to another understanding of expansive language instead of inclusive language. It's expansive language. Like, Like it's okay to call God father. That's fine. And we can also call God mother and we can also call God our brother on the journey, right? How many ways do we refer to God? God who is merciful, gracious God, loving God. God, the breath of life, right? There's so many ways that we think about your own life. What, what images, what names for God are important to you in your relationship with God? I want you to think about that for me. If you want to say them out loud, you can, but think about that. What kind of, besides just God, what, what kind of names for God have a special place in your heart? I'll share some, a few that she has that Ruth Deck has named. Um, healer, healing light, healing river of the spirit, um, holy fire, holy gardener, the holy of holies, holy one, holy wisdom, lamp of learning, life fountain, light of every nation, listening God, living bread, living Christ, loving God, uh, majestic creator, the maker, the one. There's, right, there's just a few. And some of those in there you probably went, what? But some of them you went, oh, yeah, I've said that, right? Well, she's got like a lot of them. And these are just the ones in the, in the interview they asked her, what name, they asked her, what name for God is important to you? And she was like, well, let me share with you a few of them. So when you sing her hymns, you're going to hear a lot of different kinds of names for God, inviting us to, to think about God in, in ever bigger ways and yet ever more personal ways. Because there's always some place in our lives where we have stepped away from God, some area that we have been reluctant to surrender to God, some area where we thought we could go it alone, or maybe this was not important enough for God's attention, or maybe some area where we were embarrassed and we were going to get it fixed before we brought it back to God, right? How many people have done that? You're like, there's something really big in your life, but you didn't want to talk to God about it because you were embarrassed, and you thought you could fix it, and then once you got it fixed, then you talked to God. Anybody did that? Yeah, there's some of us, and, 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 and here's how people say it. I've got a lot going on in my life, so I'll come back to church when things straighten out a little bit. That's how we talk about it. That's, my life is crazy right now, and I'm embarrassed, and I don't want to take it to God until I get it straightened out. Wrong, right? I just had a heart attack. I'm going to go to the doctor as soon as I'm better. What? Right? It doesn't make any sense, right? And as we think more and more about all these different ways that we understand and experience God, it opens us up to realize that God is with us through all of that, that God already knows that we blew it. God is waiting to help us make it right, knowing that it's going to be really hard to make it right without God. But God has some wisdom that we need for our lives. And so Ruth's duck work is not to eliminate anything, but to ever expand and make it more and more inviting so more and more people hear something that connects with their life, connects with something important for them. How many people in here have had singing lessons and and were taught about breath, right? About how important breath is. We had people with that? 
Right. And how to breathe from the diaphragm, right? Oh, and instrumental lessons also, yes? Very important. Instrumental is not as instrumental like me with the violin. I mean, I did need to breathe, and I was never good at it. Breathing, I could do, not that violin. But, but those, when I was a runner, how important was breath, right? And, and as we think about that, and then we, when she uses the, the breath within our breath, and we think about that the very first breath that we have received is a gift from God, that God's Holy Spirit breathed life into that first human, that, that every breath that we have, every breath we take, we're taking it in the love of God, that every single time we breathe in, we're receiving that gift from God. Every breath. We have a song that, right? Remember that? Every breath I take, I take in you, Jesus. You make me move, Jesus. Right? So helping us connect every part of life. This is Ruth Duck's passion. Um, she, in 1989, applied for a professorship at Garrett Evangelical Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, which is a United Methodist Seminary. So while she herself is ordained UCC, she got her, both her seminary degrees at a Methodist uh, seminary and ended up teaching the rest of her career at a Methodist seminary. She still teaches at Garrett Evangelical. And just for you who have really good memories or taking notes and all that, yes, indeed, the person we studied two weeks ago, Georgia Harkness, went to Boston University and then became a professor at Garrett Evangelical <laughs> Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. So if you were hoping that you would ever become a seminary professor, I recommend that you go to Boston and get your degrees and then apply to Garrett. Right? So Ruth Deck is still teaching there. She's still training up United Methodist pastors as well as other people who attend that seminary. And um, still uh, inspiring people to, to open their lives more fully to God. She is published in 14 different denominational hymnals. Um, she, uh, some of her poetry is absolutely beautiful. She writes about, she said about 10 poems a year. Um, she doesn't usually do the music, although she plays piano. Um, her, I just have to share with you. So her first, when she went into um, college, she had to declare a major. And so she declared um, visual art. That, that was going to be her major. And then in the first year, she realized that she would never make a living off of her visual art. So she switched her major to performing art, and she was a pianist. And she was playing piano, which she loved to play, except she didn't like to play in front of other people. Right? She's really gifted, but she didn't like to play in front of other people. And she said once again, she realized not going to be able to make a living playing piano for yourself. Although there are people who write the music in the background, right? So anyway, but then that's when she switched to English. But she's a very gifted pianist. But in her, um, the hymns, mostly she does not create her own tunes. Uh, she finds a tune that she likes. She works with somebody and, and then she writes the poem that goes with that tune. That's, that's for her, she finds the rhythm and the meter of the music, and then she writes the poem. She says she writes about 10 a year, so she has about 150 to 200 published 
published um, poem hymn texts, and she is in 14 different denominational hymnals around the world. And so today we celebrate the life of Ruth Duck. We celebrate um, her, her very open spiritual journey from, from her young age and through her young adult years to her, her passionate um, feminist to the more gracious feminist understanding with expansive language, trying to invite all people to experience the fullness of God and um, um, her willingness to grow and how that has been a blessing not only in the music that she has produced for us, but also as a model for us, as each one of us can look back in our lives and see places in our lives where what we thought and what we believed needed to grow and be transformed into a greater image of God. So we celebrate her life, and I would invite you to join me in a prayer. Loving God, we thank you so much for your servant Ruth and for her willingness to dedicate the fullness of her life to following wherever you lead her, even on paths that were totally unknown to her in her experience, yet she trusted you, and you have used her to bless us. We give you thanks for this. And God, we ask that as we sing her hymns, that we might find new ways and new understandings of who you are for us. That we might grow closer to you. That we might find those areas where we have closed you out or turned away or forgotten that you're with us that we might become more faithful in our daily walk with you. And God, we ask too that you would help us to have the courage to grow, to find those who have different opinions and to learn from them, and to be transformed by your grace into the body of Christ for our world today. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.